following is a paid program on 630 WLAP. This is the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Welcome to the camp. I guess you all know why we're here. My name is Tommy, and I became aware this year. If you want to follow me, you've got to play pinball. And put in your earplugs, put on your eye shades, you know where to put the cork. He had a mean street two feet wide. A son of a gun with a taste for fun and more than his share of pride. Take a dirt Back on the Tom Dupree show. I guess this is part of our Burt Reynolds. Yes, we're, we're, we're switching gears and doing a tribute to uh, Burt Reynolds. Okay. I haven't been in this week since Burt died, and I don't know if a proper tribute has been bestowed upon the people here at WLAP for a Burt Reynolds tribute. There you so go. That's what we'll do. Remember that one I told you about? Yes. Okay. Okay, we welcome Adarsh Mashru to the show. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Good. How are you? Fine. Uh, <laughs> the financial crisis made us afraid of risk for a while. It's interesting because in 08, 09, you know, we're, we're now 10 years away from the failure of Lehman Brothers. And you had a, a major meltdown with the... Uh, averages and so many of the uh, financial markets and it changed the way Americans and other people take risk but I think that risk never completely goes away it just shifts its shape right and the the big reason behind that is that you know risk taking is a behavioral trait uh so the propensity i guess or the the innate uh uh ability to take risk is there sometimes it gets beaten down because of various events like the financial crisis uh and then after a period of relative calm uh people start believing that uh you know things are going to remain the same uh and then that risk taking behavior comes back once there's more comfort with what's going on right and uh you could argue that here in the last few years uh we are starting to see that come back in some form or the other uh we saw something uh akin to uh you know a bubble in uh bitcoin you know, Bitcoin went up to 19,000 today. It's around 6,000. Uh, you could argue that, you know, people started taking risk again. Uh, if you remember about seven, eight months ago, everyone was into Bitcoin and now yeah. no one talks about it uh, because it's crashed. Uh, its price has crashed and other cryptocurrencies as well. Uh, we've seen some what of, uh, I wouldn't call it a bubble, but enthusiasm in tech stocks that's returned. We haven't seen such enthusiasm since the late 90s. Uh, so you could argue that that's another form of risk-taking. Uh, but uh, a crisis like the crisis that we saw in 08 and 09 serves as a reminder that once there is a lot of risk-taking, uh, the system gets destabilized and it results in a crisis that makes uh, investors shy away from taking risks for for a while. Something similar was observed after the Great Depression where a whole generation stayed away from uh, investing in stocks because they thought stocks were extremely risky. Mm -hmm. So... I remember I sent out a, a mailer in 2009, April of 2009, 
which was about as low as things could be, to a, a bunch of people. Uh, many people got angry right? That, that I would send something like that. I, I remember when that happened. I remember when you sent that out. And uh, that was the point of max, maximum pessimism where people were just fed up of the market. They'd seen their portfolios decline by 40%, 50%. They, uh, they just hated the market. And, uh, yeah. you know, uh, and contrary to uh, what was going on, uh, the, the hate or the fear of the market was um, a, an indicator that the, the worst may be behind us at yeah. that point, or at least we were close. So, uh, and now, uh, there was an article in the in Barron's this morning about how some people have seen some of these tech stocks go up eight, nine, ten times, and uh, they are kicking themselves for not getting into it. Uh, and now they're wondering if, you know, they should get into it. Because now the, that fear of losing uh, your money has transformed into the fear of missing out. Right. And we are starting to see that, you know, as the market uh, has moved up uh, from uh, the lows of uh, 2009. Yeah. But that's that's human behavior, you know. Uh, it, it oscillates between fear and greed. So as an investor, you try to gauge what, the overall sentiment is, is it more towards fear? If it is, you know that uh, there are some values in the market. Once you start seeing a lot of greed, that's when you know that, you know, uh, things are not as cheap. Now, it's not easy because as an observer of this, you are also bound to get caught up in the emotions of uh, the crowd. Uh, so that that's what makes it hard to determine if uh, you know if we are at a point where uh, uh, you know markets are cheap or expensive, uh, because even in two thousand eight and early two thousand nine, at that point of maximum pessimism, even the most uh, brave investors who felt that okay, you know, this was overdone. There was a certain side to them that wasn't sure if it was going to go down another 10, 15, 20%, but they right. still went in and did it. So you can never time the exact top or bottom, I guess. That's my point. Uh, but uh, the when you're dealing with markets, uh, you're dealing with a lot of emotions. You're dealing with human psychology. Uh, and uh, there are numbers which bear uh, what's going on uh, in different companies, but the psychology determines uh, whether people will invest even in great companies that uh, are making money. Uh, there were plenty of companies that were doing all right in 08, 09, uh, but just... They wouldn't invest in them. Yes. So so that's where logic fails uh, and, uh, you know, emotions come into play. So there's... And, and that's what makes investing uh, tricky. It's not just logic, because logic, you know, a lot of people can apply logic. Engineers tend to, can take their idea and apply it to the stock market, but they often tend to fail, because or doctors, because uh, it's not always about logic. A lot of it is about gauging uh, the sentiment. Right. So that, I guess that brings us to our next question question uh and it's an article you have here is value investing dead and um value stocks have been lagging growth stocks for for the past 30 years which qualifies as long term for most people the real value the real problem might not be the notion of buying low and selling high but the way value is commonly defined it might be time for an update so what is this article really saying? I think the main uh, point that it's trying to make or that the author is trying to make is that when you look at a basket of value stocks and when you look at a value index, there are a few indexes, 
the Russell Value Index, um, or you can even look at a Vanguard uh, Value Fund. If you just look at that, it, it might appear to you that value investing is, is dead and it's not been really doing well. But then uh, he questions the whole notion of what is value, you know, is value what it was back in the 30s, 40s, when uh, Benjamin Graham, the founder of uh, value investing and uh, Warren Buffett's uh, mentor was writing about value investing or as value investing itself changed where it's it's no longer buying you know a business that's just dropped in price thinking that because it's dropped in price it's going to go up because back then in the 30s 40s there, there was a lot of information uh, asymmetry i guess information wasn't as easily available so you could find these stocks but maybe value investing is about buying stocks that don't look uh, cheap when you use those uh, historical metrics of valuation, but stocks that uh, actually have value in terms of their ability to grow, their their moat, uh, or uh, you know the fact that they may not be an insurance company or a bank stock, which is typically what a lot of value investors invest in, but even stocks in the technology sector. Uh, so if you look at what uh, Warren Buffett has been doing, he's a value investor. He's been buying Apple. And Apple, you know, was not a value stock in the sense of, uh, you know, what, how Benjamin Graham defined value. Um, it was a growth company in a lot of ways. But he saw that the value that it offered was its great product uh, and or its ability to come up with great products and this ecosystem that it's created and the fact that um, it's a product that's loved by people all around the world and to him that was value and that's why it was worth investing in and Bill Nigren who was mentioned in the article uh, I got to hear him speak a few months ago when I was in Boston his company Oakmark which is a value fund has owned uh, stocks of Google, Netflix, even though they were appearingly trading at high, seemingly trading at high valuations, but he saw the value in, in the moat that they had. Yeah. Um, and so the whole argument is that maybe value investing is not buying something that's dropped, even though it's a bad business, but buying something which may not have dropped, may even be going up, but it's a great business and has the ability to keep being great over time is tesla value now where it's dropped well uh uh i i think it's uh value not just because it's dropped but i think tesla has value to it because of what the company is what the brand is and what the company's ability will be to create great cars in the future, not just great cars, but also other technologies that can be applied uh, in other areas. Uh, they're also leaders in solar, uh, and then not Tesla directly, but Elon Musk is also involved with SpaceX. Um, so I think Tesla has value despite the fact that the stock has dropped uh, because and Elon Musk, of course, yesterday it was all over the news that he was on uh, this radio show where he drank and took a hit of marijuana, uh, which was recorded. So and the stock, right. huh? Right, I saw that. Yes, and and I don't think the stock dropped because of that. Although that may have something to do with it, they announced that their chief accounting officer left after a month. So the stock was down in pre-markets even before this news came out. And tech stocks in general have been dropping for the last few days, but this might have exacerbated it. Um, but you could say the same thing about, you know, someone like a Steve Jobs at one point. St Steve Jobs did a lot more than smoke marijuana. He openly admitted to doing uh, other drugs. So I I'm not saying that, that that makes them outstanding leaders by any means, but I think what Elon Musk and 
others at, at Tesla have created is something valuable, which only time will tell, but I, I think there's value there. Uh, and not recommending it, who knows? The stock is going to be volatile. There's a lot going on in the news. It could drop more. But I think over the next 10 years, we see some value in Tesla. Stay with us. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Adarsh Mashru. It's News Radio 630 WLAP. News. News affects your life. Is imitating life. American life. The sequence of events. The latest events. And experiences. Personal experience. That make up. Doesn't his life matter? Life. In this life. News. Talk. Sports. Life in the old ball yard. News Radio 630 WLAP. Hi, this is Tom Dupree Jr. Do you understand your retirement savings and investments? Do you know how much you can reasonably expect to take from them after you retire without diminishing the principal? If you haven't thought about these things, you should because they can affect how long your money may last. At Dupree Financial Group, we've been following things like this for some time. Our goal for our clients is to make their investments produce income for them from dividends and interest without diminishing their principal. If you'd like a free consultation about your retirement investments, give us a call at 859-233-0400. We'll give you an honest assessment what we think your investments will produce for you in retirement. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400, DupreeFinancial.com, and the Tom Dupree Show Saturday mornings at News Radio 630 WLAP. 630 WLAP. Machines are going to fail, and the system's going to fail. And then... And then what? Then survival. Who has the ability to survive? That's the game. Survival. And you can't wait for it to happen, can you? You can't wait for it. Well, the system's done all right by me. Oh, yeah. You got a nice job. Got a nice house. Nice wife. Nice kid. Why do you go on these trips with me, Ed? I like my life, Lewis. Yeah, but why do you go on these trips with me? Back on the Tom Dupree you show. You know, sometimes I wonder about that. That's uh, Burt Reynolds in his uh, action as <laughs> Lewis in the movie Deliverance, which really kind of put him on the map. And his character there was a much bigger than life uh, guy who who led all these guys out in the woods on these camping and hunting trips. Back to this uh, value uh, discussion. Uh, is it possible that the growth stocks of today are the value stocks of tomorrow? Microsoft became a value stock in a sense. Right. Uh, Intel also, Cisco perhaps. Uh, yeah. A lot of these uh, stocks, which, uh, and someday I think even Amazon might end up becoming a value stock. I, I think it's very possible. In fact, I don't know if, uh, you know, people in the investment community tend to make a distinction between value and growth. I, I think they are sort of, uh, you know, tied together. Uh, I, I don't think you can look at a company and judge it purely based on its value. I think you also have to base it on its ability to uh, grow over time. So I don't think you can divorce the two concepts. Uh, now, if you think of growth as just something that's momentum where it's got no value it's just going up in price then yes that's not value but if you think of a great company that has the ability to grow over time you know it's both value and it's a growth investment uh, at the end of the day you don't want to buy just a company that'll stay stagnant uh, without growth uh, you can't put a good value on a company or a good valuation on a company so but yes, today's so-called growth stocks will be tomorrow's 
value stocks. Um, and uh, we've seen that, you know, with Microsoft, even Apple. You know, Apple's been around since the 70s. Uh, it's paying a dividend now. And uh, it's not trading at a ridiculous multiple like some of these other stocks. Uh, so ultimately, a lot of these stocks will become value stocks in the traditional sense, which means that they'll start generating somewhat consistent cash flow and pay a dividend and have a more uh, stable investor base. Apple's that, basically done that. It has, yes. And look at an Apple's investor base. You don't really hear a lot of youngsters wanting to buy Apple stock, but Warren Buffett is buying it, who is, mm -hmm. you know, uh, someone who you would never have thought would buy Apple stock. But uh, yes, Apple's doing that. Uh, Intel's doing that. Um, Qualcomm also. So a, lo a lot of these stocks, which in the 90s were, you know, uh, even outside the tech industry, look at Home Depot. That was a growth stock during the 90s. Right. Um, so, yes, ultimately, the underlying, uh, you know, commonality is that these stocks are great companies that have endurance, that have a moat that will make them survive over long periods, periods of time. And uh, they also have the ability to rejuvenate, you know, like Apple did at some point. Or Microsoft did. Microsoft made a major uh, turn when they moved into cloud services. You know, before that, it was just Microsoft, you know, your Windows and all that. And then at some point, they realized they bought LinkedIn. So they've, they've reinvented themselves to become relevant. So they're both value and growth stocks. Right. So um, you're basically looking for cash flow. Yes. The ability of, the, of a company to generate cash flow. I mean, ultimately, that's what it's all about, right? When you invest in the stock market, you want to invest in a profit-making enterprise. And few companies have been able to do that over very long periods of time. A few companies have done it for decades and decades and then not done it. So nothing is certain uh, over multiple decades. But uh, there are a few companies uh, which have managed to uh, keep doing it. Right. And that, that, yeah, like you said, that's what it's all about. The ability to generate cash flow. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Not right, am I? No. Well, if you're going to talk about deliverance, you're going to talk about dueling banjos. Of course. Okay. Stay with us. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Adarsh Mashru. It's News Radio 630 WLAP. As a marketer, you want to reach everyone. Adults, teens, millennials. But it's not like these groups all hang out in the same place, right? Actually, wrong. They're all right here, listening to radio commercials just like this one. Radio ads connect with 93% of Americans every week. That's more than Google, more than Facebook, more than TV. In fact, radio reaches 20% more millennials than TV. Want more of the people you want to talk to all in one place? You want to get to iHeartMedia.com and get AMFM working for you. We're going to say it right to your face. You don't want to miss Donnie Baker and the Pork Pistols live in concert at the Bourbon Hall Friday, September 21st. They named my road Donnie Baker Street. Because <laughs> year round we would trick or treat. You've got to see Donnie Baker and the Pork Pistols. It's state law. We swear to God. At the Bourbon Hall, September 21st. Go to thebourbonhall.com for tickets. Tickets are just 15 bucks because I'm cheap that way. So buy them up before they sell out. You have to go find them on the StubHub. Our iHeartRadio Music Festival at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Listen to Win Your Way There and you could score the ultimate VIP grand prize. Front row tickets, a Nightingale Suite at the new Park MGM, and much more. Watch the two-night event only on The CW October 7th and 8th at 8, 7 Central. Sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is using technology, innovation, and interaction to bring its customers great products, rewards, service, and access to unique and unforgettable experiences. 
President Trump wants Attorney General Jeff Sessions to launch an investigation to find the author of the letter pu who published it in the New York Times. The president citing national security as the reason. ABC's Jonathan Carl has details. The essay described a, quote, quiet resistance of unsung heroes in the Trump administration working to frustrate parts of the president's agenda and his worst inclinations. An anomalous, really an anomalous, gutless coward. You just look. He was, uh, nobody knows who the hell he is or she, although they put he, but probably that's a little disguise. That means it's she. ABC News has learned aides close to the president have compiled a list of about a dozen suspects on the president's team. Former Trump campaign advisor George Papadopoulos sentenced Friday to 14 days in prison, says he made a dreadful mistake when he lied to the FBI about his Russian contacts. And the hurricane season ramping up, several storms shaping up in the Atlantic, including Tropical Storm Florence, which could threaten the East Coast next week. Michelle Franz and ABC News. More in the way of rounds of showers and thunderstorms on and off for our Saturday. Heavy rainfall coming down when it does. In between those boomers, it's just tropical. Highs mid and upper 70s. What is left of once tropical storm Gordon will impact your weather late Sunday into Sunday night. Heavy rainfall, a good likelihood that'll carry us into early Monday, too. I'm WKYT Chief Meteorologist Chris Bailey on your official weather station, News Radio 630 WLAP. Broadcasting live 24-7 from the heart of Big Blue Nation. This is News Radio 630 WLAP, an iHeart Radio station. Listen to what Chris said about Andro 400. I've lost almost 40 pounds in 10 weeks. My son was getting married, and when I went for the suit fitting, I was a size 48. And when I went back to do the final fitting, I was a 44. I have more energy, that's for sure. I probably lost four inches around my belly. I'm 57, and I'm back when I was in my 30s. Here's what Dwayne said about Andro 400. This product really works. I'm an old guy, and I don't trust nobody. I've tried all kinds of stuff. It's one of the few things I've ever bought that works. I couldn't believe it. I feel better. I have more energy. I walk 12 miles a day. I feel great. It changed my life. It really has. It's really incredible. Guys, if you'd like to lose belly fat, gain energy, and feel great, try Andro 400, the safe, natural, and affordable way to boost your testosterone. Go to andro400.com or call 888-400-0435, 888 andro400.com Dr. Bob Arnott for Salon Pass. I'm training for the world's most grueling paddleboard race 32 miles of open ocean high winds and surf naturally I get a lot of muscle pain 50 years in medicine has taught me what to look for in a pain reliever powerful, targeted, non-addictive and available without a prescription I found it in Salon Pass Lidocaine Plus it has two powerful anesthetics that numb nerves right where it hurts Salon Pause gives me relief. 630 WLAP. He's raised in the swamp, in the back of a sloop. He grew up eating rattlesnake meat, drinking homemade brew. The folks here about call him Gator. And everybody knows him well Meanest man ever hit the swamp Folks swag come straight out of hell <laughs> Well, Gator McCluskey sitting on a stump Hammer pulled back on a 12-gauge pump Watching that swamp Back on the Tom Dupree Show The surprising reasons why Trump's trade wars will boost U.S. jobs and stocks Okay, how is it possible that Donald Trump's trade war, especially with China, will lead to less protectionism and more global prosperity? You would think it would be just the opposite. Yeah, so that article is by uh, Ed Yardeni, who is a pretty well-known market forecaster. Um, so he lays out a number of reasons you know, one of the reasons is, well, he believes that this whole trade war is not really about protectionism. It's about uh, less, more trade, but fairer trade. So um, he thinks that one of the things that could happen ultimately is that the system does become a fairer system 
which benefits the U.S. Uh, even more. So uh, that's one thing that could happen, that ultimately the U.S. has a lot to gain. And he says that one of the smart things, I don't know if it was thought of in such a sense, was that before uh, the tariff talk began, a number of measures were put in place. So taxes were reduced, regulations were reduced. So that of that sort of unleashed uh, spirits, you know, right. for U.S. businesses. And then uh, trade came in next. So the fact that the U.S. was already in such a strong place gives U.S. a strong advantage uh, when it comes to negotiating uh, for trade for better trade or fairer trade. Uh, so he thinks that that could be one reason why the U.S. does get a good deal out of this and uh, it works out well. Um, and then he also talks about how uh, because of, I guess, fears of uh, trade uh, wars and protectionism, jobs could move back to the U.S., manufacturing that was done overseas could move back. But there is a shortage of uh, labor in the U.S., so that might right. result in companies investing even more in automation and newer technologies uh, and more uh, capex. So that could lead to an investment cycle. Uh, or Well, the investment cycle has already begun, but uh, even greater investments by businesses in the U.S. Uh, so that could help. Um, and then I think he lays out another reason. Yeah. Uh, what if the pace of technological yes. innovation is increasing, disruptive, disrupting business models in ways that keep a lid on inflation and finally boost productivity? Right. So that's another thing, you know, and that that part is important if that inflation does not go up if productivity is boosted that will put a cap on inflation and the best environment for an economy to grow and for people to prosper is when inv inflation is under control and businesses get can keep investing um so if that happens because one of the biggest risks is that inflation prematurely gets out of control Right, and the response of the Fed is to increase rates and you know put a damper on the recovery. But if inflation remains around here, which it has been increasing, but it does not increase rapidly, then conditions could be uh, ideal. You know what they call a Goldilocks uh, economy, where inflation's not high, unemployment is low, businesses keep investing, consumers keep spending. And the only way inflation will remain low is if productivity and technological innovations keep putting a lid on higher inflation. Right. Um, and we are seeing that, you know. I mean, we've already seen a recovery, a strong recovery. Uh, well, not strong for the first six, seven years, but the last couple of years, the recovery has picked up pace. Unemployment is extremely low. Uh, commodity prices are still somewhat low. Uh, they're not too high. They've been much higher in the past. Yeah. Uh, wages are rising. There's another article about how wages have risen at the highest pace in the last nine years. Right. Yet, inflation remains manageable. It's it's rising also, but it's it's not crazy 7-8% where the Fed is forced to act. Right. Uh, so great condition for, you know, uh, the economy to keep growing. Yep. What if baby boomers downsize and millennials remain minimalists? Yes, that's another thing. And that could also impact uh, inflation. I, I think that was the ultimate argument that he was making. Uh, he's, he's basically turning or... Uh, Offering, uh, being a, the devil's advocate, I suppose, uh, offering contrarian views to what people think will happen, that millennials will start spending like uh, the previous generation before them. You know, once they get older, they, st they will start buying houses, they'll start having kids, they'll start buying cars. 
But he argues that what if that does not happen? And if that does not happen, again, we don't have a serious risk of uh, inflation. Uh, but at the same time, that could put uh, a check on economic growth. Um, so, again, I don't know what the argument is. He's just offering a contrarian viewpoint. Right. Uh, so, uh, I think... Ultimately, what he's trying to say is that there is conventional wisdom, but th it may not play out in the same way. You know, this economic expansion has gone on for a long time. Uh, I think 2019, if it continues into 2019, it becomes the longest economic expansion in history. Right. Some already argue uh, that the stock market has had the longest bull market in history, although there are others who argue uh, that it's not. Um, so a lot of these conventional ideas have been challenged in this latest recovery since uh, the Great uh, Recession or the financial crisis of 08-09. Um, and maybe, you know, we don't immediately go into a recession. We keep going into an expansionary mode. The economy keeps growing. Perhaps the stock market keeps doing well. Um and uh, I, I think that's the argument that he's making. And all these fears of a, a trade war uh, resulting in, you know, the economy contracting or going into a recession may be unfounded. Right. Um, so what's behind the meltdowns in the emerging markets? You're seeing... Uh, you're seeing big-time... Currency problems. Yes. Uh, I'd say the the biggest uh, factor, the biggest reason for that is uh, the tightening of monetary policy in the U.S. Uh, the U.S. economy has grown at a decent pace. Uh, inflation is starting to pick up and the Fed has started tightening. Interest rates were zero for many years. And here in the last two years, we've seen that uh, interest rates have started moving up. So what that has done is resulted in flows coming back into the U.S., uh, whether it be U.S. treasuries, U.S. stocks, uh, other U.S. assets, uh, because higher rates and manageable inflation is resulted in the dollar becoming strong. Uh, so the action of the Fed is one thing. The second thing is all the talks of... Uh, a trade war has also resulted in, uh, you know, a search for a safe haven. So money has flown back uh, into the U.S. Uh, and just the fact that the U.S. economy has started growing rapidly, so there are more uh, investment opportunities in the U.S., more capital investment opportunities. Uh, that's another reason. So the dollar has become a very strong currency. It's remained strong for the last year. Uh, and then there are problems within specific emerging markets. This is not a broad thing, but, you know, Argentina has had its problems. Turkey has had its problems, uh, which are more domestic in nature, have nothing to do with uh, what's happening uh, in the U.S. Uh, so number of factors. It's somewhat similar, but not exactly. If you remember the Asian financial crisis of 1997, uh, that led to a contagion, you know, and yeah. right now there there is no contagion as such unless, you know, there is a full-blown trade war, then that could result in that. But in the last few years, again, this goes back to what we t spoke about initially, when there's stability, there's a sense that things will continue the, the way they have. So in the last few years, emerging market currencies were holding up pretty strong versus the dollar. So a lot of emerging market companies started borrowing in US dollars or in the euro. And now, as the dollar strengthens, their debt burden has gone up because now they have right. to repay that debt in, their, that's right. in a currency that's weakened. So their currency has weakened. The money in the debt that they borrowed, uh, that currency has strengthened. 
So, and that's exactly what happened during the Asian financial crisis, where a lot of Asian started with Thailand and then it moved to Malaysia and other countries. Yeah. A lot of Asian companies had borrowed in US dollars and then their currencies collapsed and now they were stuck with all these debt that they had to pay. So that debt ultimately had to be either defaulted on or uh, renegotiated. Right. So we are in the beginning stages. Hopefully it won't lead to a full-blown contagion. But the good thing, and for us as investors, this is something that we look at very closely. And that's why even our investments... We believe that emerging markets will grow and there's investment opportunities in emerging markets, but we make our investments through developed con uh, companies right. in in the U.S. market or in, through Western European companies. So this is one of the risks that we try to avoid when we make our investment decisions, right. which is uh, geopolitical or uh, in nature or currency risk. So... In the last few years, people have been talking about how emerging market stocks are attractive. Yes, they are attractive, but there are risks that go with it, and now we are seeing some of the risks play out. Uh, uh, so, you know, I mean, there's there's just a lot of different uh, factors that we have to look at as investors or that other investors have to look at. Yeah. Um, in this highly interconnected world, but at the same time, um, you know, a world where something can happen in one place and it can have uh, an effect somewhere else. So, uh, yeah, yes, that's what's been going on in emerging markets. Uh, another thing that's hurt some emerging markets, especially in South America, is... Uh, they're commodity driven so as commodity commodity prices especially crude oil you know went up a lot in 2014 uh, and then since then has dropped it's come back some but imagine a country like venezuela uh, which relied on crude oil to fund uh, you know its budget uh, saw a major drop in crude oil uh, post-2014, and since then we've seen a number of problems. Well, and, you know, they had a change uh, in government, not because there was an election, beca but because uh, their leader, uh, Hugo Chavez, passed away. And the person who took over uh, was from the same party, pretty much. But they, they are starting to face, you know, internal yeah, conflicts. Well. Yes. Right. Stay with us. You are listening to the Tom Dupree Show with the Dark Smash Roo. It's News Radio 630 WLAP. Alexa, I need to know the news. I added to know the news to your shopping list. Oh boy, uh, how about this? Alexa, play News Radio 630 WLAP on iHeartRadio. There you go. Wasn't that easier? Wait, what? Nothing. Here's the station you asked for. Hi, this is Tom Dupree Jr. Do you understand your retirement savings and investments? Do you know how much you can reasonably expect to take from them after you retire without diminishing the principal? If you haven't thought about these things, you should because they can affect how long your money may last. At Dupree Financial Group, we've been following things like this for some time. Our goal for our clients is to make their investments produce income for them from dividends and interest without diminishing their principal. If you'd like a free consultation about your retirement investments, Give us a call at 859-233-0400. We'll give you an honest assessment of what we think your investments will produce for you in retirement. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400, dupreefinancial.com, and the Tom Dupree Show Saturday mornings at News Radio 630 WLAP. 630 WLAP. pre-show u.s factory sector clock strongest growth in 14 years american factory activity in august expanded at the strongest pace in more than 14 years despite rising tensions with some of u.s largest trade partners so it's not really hurting us the 
the tariffs are not causing a, a recession or, or something like that. No, not at all. Uh, I mean, there are some companies, you know, uh, which are being hurt because some of their inputs uh, come from overseas. But that's a relatively small, uh, I guess, section of overall companies. Uh, so when you look at the the overall picture, it's really not hurting. Right. And uh, part of the reason is because, A, the U.S., it's quite self-sufficient in a lot of things. A lot of things, raw materials are abundantly available in the U.S. Uh, and the U.S. is a big economy in its own right. It's the largest economy, but it's also physically big uh, with a lot of natural resources. So a lot of inputs are domestically available. Right. Um, and uh, the second reason is that it is, we are at a point where there is a return of uh, consumer demand and there has been a major uh, paucity in uh, business investment and that's starting to come back because they have other you know, reasons to, uh, to invest. So there was so much um, pent-up demand right. that was that happened because there was a financial crisis consumers spent a few years to repair their balance sheets uh, and now they've repaired their balance sheets there are jobs so they are that means they paid off debt they've paid off debt and now they're getting ready to uh, spend even borrow uh, which means there's so much domestic demand and that is being met by companies and one way it is being met is by investing more in you know, machinery. Do you think consumption like can stay at its present rate or will it have to slow down ultimately? Ultimately it will, yes, because, you know, um, nothing can go on. It's cyclical, just like uh, everything else. But I, I think at this point it could increase also and continue to grow for a little while before that ultimate slowdown comes. Um, and... Uh, We'll get there because every cycle there is, you know, consumption picks up and then it peaks and it drops off. But I, I think we are not there. We are not at the peak yet. Right. Okay. Uh, evidently, uh, Louis Ranieri, who was the guy in uh, Solomon Brothers who invented mortgage-backed bonds, lives with remorse for his role in the housing crisis. When Louis Ranieri invented mortgage bonds, he never thought it would turn out this way. Four decades ago, Mr. Ranieri was at the helm of a revolution in how Americans finance their homes. Until then, mortgages largely stayed on the books of local savings banks. Mr. Ranieri created a secondary market that packaged mortgage in securities sold to investors. How is this guy responsible? I don't agree with the fact that he thinks he's responsible for for the downturn. Yes, and I agree with you. I don't I don't think he's responsible. I, I don't know why he says that or if it's just something to draw attention. Um but uh he created the security which you could argue was a major positive. Now, the fact that something that had such a positive impact ultimately got used in a way that it, it resulted in, you know, um, uh, bad behavior does not make him responsible for it. Uh, a mortgage-backed security is basically... Right. It's, it's just a securitized mortgage. Exactly. And you could argue that it has a purpose. What went wrong was not that the security uh, did something wrong or the creation of the security, but the fact that uh, standards were loosened, you know, uh, prior to the financial crisis, uh, where anyone was able to uh, borrow money. So not only did banks loosen their lending standards, but Fannie and Freddie uh, were willing to buy these mortgages back secure willing to buy these loans and securitize them um, despite 
deteriorating deteriorating standards in these loans. So, um, so it was bad behavior on the part of different players that resulted in it, not because the security was created. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, you could argue that the creation of the security was a major positive because it did expand uh, the ability for people to get mortgages. Exactly, yes. And live the American dream, which is, you know, to someday buy your own home. Um, now, one of the things that he talks about later is that because of this, you could also argue that homes are not as affordable as they might have been. Um at least that's one of the things that he talks about. I, I don't know if it's necessarily because of the leverage or if it's because uh, there's some sort of, um, uh, not a bubble, but uh, over-exuberance in the housing market that's right. resulting in, you know... Too much liquidity. Too much liquidity, yes. So, and, and that can happen wherever there's uh, whenever there's leverage involved, whenever there's a lot of liquidity, prices go up. We've seen that with universities and college education where right. when anyone can get a loan, the cost of college education is going to go up because there's so much demand for it all of a sudden. Yep. Uh, and in the same way, when anyone can get uh, a mortgage on their home, uh, the prices of homes will also go up. But at the same time, there's also another side to it. Unlike, you know, uh, college education, to meet that demand, a lot more homes can come uh, into the market, right. you know, whether new homes or, you know, people... We're going to have dying. to cut it off right there. Um, so, yes. So, uh, I don't think he was responsible for it. I don't either. If you'd like us to uh, look at your retirement savings plan, we can give an honest, unbiased view. Call us at 859-233-0400. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with the Darsh Mashru. It's News Radio 630 WLAP.